Hello, and welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. My name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights. And we are starting the second message in a message series that we started last week on Easter Sunday. On Easter, we celebrated the pinnacle event in that's really the foundation of the Christian faith, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And last week, we talked about the disciples, the first guys who followed Jesus and their tenacious commitment to spreading the good news about his resurrection. Those disciples and really many other followers were so convinced of the resurrection that they spent their entire lives uh, and really the future, their future is declaring this message of hope. And they would tell everyone, anyone that they could, that your sins can be forgiven through the sacrifice that Jesus made, and you can have the promise of eternal life that he offers. This conviction and that message has caused Christ followers for centuries to keep on sharing the message. And it's made a huge, undeniable difference in our world. That's what this message series is all about. We're looking at the different ways our world has been changed by it. So not only were all those guys really excited to share the good news, but they were commanded by Jesus to do so. And so if you look at the words of Jesus in Acts 1.8, uh, Acts is a, it's a section, it's a book of the Bible. Really, it's a history book that we'll be in sort of as an anchor for this whole series. And the book of Acts traces the growth and expansion and movement of the Christian faith. So here are Jesus' final commissioning words to his disciples. He told them, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, that wasn't just a figure of speech. It wasn't even a metaphor. I mean, he's using really big language here, like to the, to the ends of the earth. Sometimes you hear people make really bold statements about themselves or about their influence, and, you know, of course, you don't actually take them seriously. Like, you know, Jack Dawson in Titanic. He said, I'm the king of the world, and he felt like it at the moment. And that's a pretty memorable line from the movie. Or, you know, the movie I grew up on was uh, Lion King. And, of course, his father, Simba's father, says, everything the light touches is our kingdom, and someday it'll all be yours. You know, those are big, lofty ideas. Those are fun stories. But when Jesus said, hey, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which was kind of that main area they were in, Judea and Samaria, that was surrounding regions, and then to the ends of the earth, that's not just a figure of speech. It's not just a movie. This is actually a confident prediction. Jesus predicted that he would become known to the ends of the earth. He really believed and predicted he would become known. And when he made that statement, Jesus had right around maybe 500 followers. <laughs> Does 500 sound like a lot to you? Maybe. Or, or maybe you actually have more than 500 followers on your Instagram account. You know, the soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo, he's, you know, he's, got, uh, he's pushing nearly 500 million followers on Instagram. He's the most followed Instagram account. Or the former President Barack Obama. Uh, he has 130 million followers on Twitter. He's the most followed on Twitter. And, uh, you know, when Jesus 
made this big bold statement, he had really just about 500 people following him. Jesus had no land, no nation, no office, really no formal political position or power, no formal military. So how did this movement spread the way that it did? How does it continue to spread really with no sign of slowing down or stopping all around the world? Because here we are nearly 2,000 years from this statement and we can actually document this outrageous claim in history. It's just mind-boggling to see how Jesus, really his words have been fulfilled through the lives of many followers over the centuries. Now, if Jesus was crucified in the spring of AD 33 or 30, then somewhere around AD 47 to 48, the disciples had already covered the city of Jerusalem and also the Judean and Samaritan regions. And you can actually see an image of some of the journeys where the news began to spread beyond those reasons. They, they started going to the ends of the earth, you know, one surrounding nation at a time. And what we want to do in this message series called The Difference is we want to trace the expansion towards the ends of the earth. And in Acts, that, that book of Acts, in chapters 13 through 17, it really does highlight some of the specific impacts that Christianity has in those cities and towns and regions. And today, we'll see how the gospel of Jesus Christ pushes away the prevailing darkness in nations. And really, the darkness that gets pushed away is really bad situations because of sin. And... So let's look at Acts 13, uh, starting in verse 1. It says, Now in the church at Antioch that there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you might not know all those people, but this was a very diverse group of people in this church in that ancient town called Antioch. And as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. So these guys were ordained and sent out for this missionary assignment by God. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, which uh, was the nearest port to Antioch. And from there they sailed to Cyprus, which was the nearest island. You can see a map of what that looks like here. Um, they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, and they also had John as their assistant. So, they're in Cyprus, which is a place he can go to today. But Cyprus is where Barnabas was born, one of the guys that was on this assignment, and so he's going to his hometown. He was known there, he had some relationships there, and so there's probably at least some Jewish influence, but he and Paul are bringing the message about Jesus and about how God's Messiah came to earth, died, was buried, and then rose again. But all of, all of that stuff about Jesus was very new to this island, even if they did have some Jewish influence. So Cyprus is geographically tiny. It's sm actually, it's smaller than the state of Connecticut, which is the 48th smallest state in our country. Um, and currently today, Cyprus is its own country. It's part of the European Union. So a little over a million people that live there. Now, if you look at this chart 
from Cyprus about top religions, you can see that about 67% of the population identifies themselves as Christians, which is really a, the, big, the biggest chunk there. Um, and mostly that's members of the Greek Orthodox Church. The history and the impact of Christianity on this island, Cyprus, is, is still a major part of the country and how things are going there. So think about it. These guys, they landed there 2,000 years ago. How, after all these years, is there still a very significant ongoing impact? And if you were to go to Cyprus today, you, you would see churches like this. You could see that here's a, a hidden cave church that was built into the rocks. Here's a, a, another older but uh, very beautiful Cyprus church. And here's a photo of a more modern Christian church in Cyprus. And uh, here's another image that's known as the Tomb of the Kings. And these are caves that were carved probably over 400 years before Christianity came. But this became a site where the earliest Christians went. They would meet for worship, they'd sing, encourage, and even seek refuge with some of the early persecution that happened there. And all of the impact that can still be felt today can be traced back to this Christian heritage and the tradition that comes from the story that we're reading. So we left off in verse 5, but if we, we pick up the story again, something really astonishing happens as they get to Cyprus. In verse 6 it says, When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So this character, this sorcerer, he was the spiritual advisor to the local Roman governor, Sergius Paulus. And here's what it says in verse 7. He was with the proconsul, or the governor, and he was an intelligent man. But this man summoned Barnabas and Saul. The governor wanted to hear the word of God. Perhaps news trickled into his ears and he heard about this interesting new message that was being spread and he wanted to know for himself. The governor wanted to hear more about this message that Saul and Barnabas had brought and were spreading. So this is really significant. The local governing official of this island is a pretty important character. And, you know, as you might assume, leaders, especially government officials, have a lot of influence on how things are done, even, even more so in those days. They really set the direction for a nation or a region or a city. And so the sorcerer, who's the advisor, the governor, he attempts to block God's plan to move the message of Christ into this island. And he stands in opposition. In verse 8 it says, Elymas the sorcerer, that's the meaning of his name, he opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So, you can see, really, there's a power struggle. There's a power of darkness coming against the power of light at, at what's probably the highest level. God influencing Paul and Barnabas to give this good news, and then Satan, the, you know, really generating and motivating this false prophet. They're at, at odds in this earthly setting. But it says that Saul, who's also called Paul, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, meaning that God really directed some action to take place here. He stared straight at Elymas, and he said, You... He's talking to the sorcerer. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You son of the devil. And you're, you're a son, you son of the devil and the enemy of all that's right. Um, 
You know, his name Bar Jesus actually means son of Jesus, which would mean that the Lord saves, but he doesn't match, he doesn't live up to his name. So Paul points out, no, you're actually a son of the devil. And you can see that Paul brings a really strong rebuke. And he says, won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? Now look, the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and you will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Now, think about what Paul is communicating to this governor who's watching this exchange happen. And, you know, you can distinguish this man and the message versus the input that, um, you know, between these two people. Just as Paul commands that the sorcerer would go blind, it happens. It actually occurs. It's, a, it's really a, mir- a miracle that takes place. And the man is immediately weakened and comes under God's judgment. This, I believe this happened. I believe things like this can happen. And it's kind of amazing that this story, something very similar appears in The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. And I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. If not, you probably just need to stop <laughs> watching this and go watch that. Or at the very least, pause this if you're listening and go on YouTube and search Gandalf Freeze Theoden. It's King Theoden is... He has his own advisor named uh, Grima Wormtongue. And in this video, which I wish I could show you, but I don't think I can because of copyright issues, but uh, what happens is the advisor is speaking to the king, totally weakening him, causing him to be tricked and deceived. And then Gandalf, you know, the, the character who's got, the, he's in all in white, he's got the power of good. He casts out the evil and really the sorcery that's happening. And then when that happens, clarity comes to the king. In fact, he's, his hair, he was all like mangled and twisted up and wrinkly. And then when the evil goes away, he can see clearly. His skin goes back to this normal color. It's really an amazing transformation. And it really, it looks just like what happens in this story on Cyprus. It almost seems like maybe the writers of Lord of the Rings were taking their cues from this story. But it's a very intense scene. And um, really, you can, you can watch... A lot of parallels in the two towers to you know the scene in Cyprus, and what I w- what I would ask is, you know, if you're watching Lord of the Rings, what would be the impact if King Theoden was never released from the power of evil, or in this story, what would have been? This is actually a more important question. <laughs> what would be the difference if Christianity never came to Cyprus? What if the light never reached that island and it was? covered in darkness and deception the whole time. Well, the qualities that Paul used to describe the sorcerer probably would have taken a much deeper root on that island. He said that the sorcerer was full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. That word deceit means snares, skills, and deception. And the word for trickery, it means wicked and reckless without any moral hesitation. You know, it might be an environment where people just are deceived and plunge into really awful wrongs without any hesitation about it. He says that the sorcerer is the enemy of all that's right. You know, this character with his influence could twist God's truth. Things that really are good and just would be seen as wrong and evil. He was twisting reality. And then also Paul said that he perverted the path of the Lord. 
he really, the sorcerer really was a dangerous character that was influencing the whole direction of the island. So if Paul and Barnabas never landed there, never preached there, or even confronted this character, we'd have no idea what this island would have become or what it would look like even today. If you watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy, you, you can get a feel for countries and lands that are overrun by godlessness and darkness. It's kind of a, an, a mental image of, of evil that's rampant. So as a result, the last verse here, in Cyprus, we see that when, when he saw what happened, the proconsul or the governor, he believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. And this would not be the first time or the last time that, that the gospel impacted a whole culture by a leader coming to Christ and using their influence to bring a very different quality of life to a country or to a state or a city. So, what would be the difference if Christianity never came to Cyprus? Or, here's a bigger question that really we're asking throughout this whole series is, what would be the difference if Christianity, what, what difference has it made in pushing back the prevailing darkness in our world? There's other examples in history where God has used leaders to bring light to nations. One ancient example is the Roman Empire went from persecution to protection. Really awful, cruel emperors like Nero brought so much darkness. The Colosseum was a place of just horrific bloodshed. It really was an example. You, know, you could see a photo of Christians uh, just being mauled for sport. It's really darkness that covered a whole society. Um, really, where there's no reference to morality or the value of human life. And then came Constantine. He was a leader who brought the gospel into the Roman Empire. He Christianized Rome. And he issued the Edict of Milan in 313, which gave Christians the freedom of worship and directed the governors to restore all the property that had been seized. Amazing good came as the influence of the gospel made its way through a Roman leader. If you look also to England, uh, you, we can trace how it went from unlimited governing to just government. The Magna Carta, is a, it's a word, it's, it's a document, really just meaning the Great Charter, but King John of England signed in 1215. Um, it was signed by him and rebel barons. <laughs> this was really a document that's, that's credited as democracy's cornerstone. This was the first document to put into writing the principles that the king and the government was not above the law. Now, this is a that's a Christian idea based on the belief that though people have different roles in society, all people are equal before God. This is very unlike ancient governments where kings were seen as deities beyond questioning who had far more value than anybody else. And this is also where we get the notion of a man's home is his castle. It originated the idea that within our own homes, we are the sovereigns. It essentially makes the home the most basic unit of government. So a lot of good for came through the influence of God-influenced leadership in England. Also, later on, Alfred the Great. Um, he was a real noteworthy person who set up public schools, reformed the military, and revised and expanded the law code. Later, historians commented on his piety, his justice, and his noble vision of a better future for his people very influenced by 
the Christian roots. And Vikings had been attacking England for over a century, a very long time. And the leader of one of the Viking invasions during Alfred's rule, Guthrum, he became a Christian and was baptized. And so then they signed a peace treaty and he went out and Guthrum founded a partly Christian state outside of England. But basically another way of stating it is that the Viking invasion died at the cross, at this confrontation from a man who brought Christianity. Another example of darkness being pushed back in our world is in India. There was, we can see a shift from ritualistic sacrifice of widows to the preservation of life. Um, in the 1800s, widows in India would be thrown or, or they would voluntarily jump on the burning fire of their dead husband's body. So if a man died and he had a wife still, um, it was the duty for, there was this ritualistic murder or suicide known as um, sati. And when Britain took over, they eventually outlawed that practice. This was a, a long-standing tradition that ended when the British took power and raised the value of human life. Now, that, that stems from the biblical understanding that all human life is valuable. Human life is precious and, and needs to be protected and defended. And eventually, the Indian government outlawed the practice of killing innocent women as well. If you shift again to the United Kingdom, there's a shift from slavery to freedom. William Wilberforce was a committed Christian and member of the British Parliament. He fought for over 20 years to see that the British slave trade was abolished. This was a very long, brutal fight for him and, and others that joined him. But, after th but three days before his death, amazingly, he heard that the act was assured to pass through Parliament to end slavery, slavery in England. And he was a leader to the movement to abolish the slave trade. You can watch the movie Amazing Grace. It's an incredible story of this being played out. And then in our country, you can see how the United States, it was a nation with a biblical foundation. The gospel came with the colonists and woven into the fabric of our society and our country are the biblical values that have really rippled through our nation for good. The Declaration of Independence, man, that's, that's a document that has had ongoing blessing. We're not perfect as a country, but this document can be traced to the many, really, in many ways, back to the effect of the resurrection power that changes lives and shapes perspectives. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America uh, is where we get this document. And there's a key phrase that you're probably familiar with. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. John Adams, who is one of the signers of the Declaration, he said this, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It's wholly inadequate to be government of any other. This form of government stands on and only works within a society has a moral and religious framework. Many of our presidents have been men of faith, and we don't have time to trace all of the examples, but there's at least one solid example of Abraham Lincoln's faith expressed in his second inaugural address. And if you read it, you can see how our 16th president was wrestling through how to lead a very divided country to do things that would please the Lord in very specific terms. 
But overall, you can see, we can see with just a few quick examples that the movement of Christianity continues to envelop the world as God works in one heart at a time to bring light even to whole regions, whether it's through a leader or just through ordinary people. Countless, innumerable, thousands and millions of people have been blessed on this planet by the many ways that God has brought light and pushed back the darkness. Now, before I wrap this up, I want to highlight the way that God brings light to individual people. We started a church here in Santa Clarita because we wanted to bring light to this valley. Hence our name. It's part of who we are. We are lights in the we're Valley Lights Church. And by by God's grace, we've been able to help people find faith in Jesus Christ one at a time. So I want I want you to see a video of a few people who have decided to first to follow Jesus and then to get baptized. And today is a very significant day because we're having a baptism service in our physical location. So we've got four people that have planned to get baptized and then maybe more in the next couple months. But this is really, baptism is a step of obedience after someone decides to follow Jesus Christ. So I want you to hear from these people that are, that are getting ready to take that step. And so at some point I started, you know, thinking, yeah, I think at some point I'm gonna check out this Christianity thing and see how it goes. Uh, I talked to a couple people, like asked about churches, including my cousin who goes to Valley Lights. That's how I ended up at Valley Lights. And then I guess at some point during that re research phase, I, like it just it became really real, and it was kind of like the weight of sin like just hit me, and it was it, like it drew a lot of emotions from me. And then pretty soon after that, I found like another video online that you know talked about Jesus and his forgiveness, and that was the first time I like it. It really hit me, and I was like, this is powerful, and this is. Um, loving and this is this is great before i was pretty much my own compass on how to live life and now knowing what i know and the importance of putting god first um, how that just leads to <laughs> better a better future um, that hopefully doesn't result in as bad of consequences as I'm dealing with right now. I was actually baptized when I was a little girl in the Greek Orthodox Church, um, and that's what I knew baptism to be. When my mom came to Christ and she told me that I, I have to be born again in order to come to Christ, um, I was really trying to understand what that meant. You know, I had like certain doubts, or I didn't think I was like, I was like, I know I, Am I a Christian? Am I doing it right? Am I this? Am I that? If I were, would I even have the confidence to say it? Am I that confident? And then when we had the connection card with the baptism on it, and I was like, you know what? Yeah, I want to be baptized. And I didn't feel any qualms about it. I didn't really have any doubts. I think that was a big moment that was like, you know what? I think I am Christian. <laughs> I think Jesus is the boss. Because <laughs> it just, it felt so natural. And how do you feel about getting baptized? I'm really excited. I'm so excited. Because when I, when I do get baptized, I really want to like, you know, feel it. I really want to like be like, yes, this is, this is me testifying that Jesus is Lord. When I finally did come to Christ, uh, I felt that's when I felt 
that excited about getting baptized because I know that the Bible says that um, Jesus wants us to be born again the way that he was baptized. Um, uh, so it just, when I came to Christ and I made him the boss of my life and started following him, it wouldn't make sense for me to go against something that he specifically said he wants he wanted me to do. So uh, I was excited to um, make that a public statement. I'm feeling really excited so far. All the people that I've told have been uh, very encouraging. Uh, very excited to finally, um, you know, commit to Christ in front of all the people that I care about and love. I'm just ready to, you know, um, solidify this next step in my life and uh, stop living in in the land of having one foot in the door and one foot out. Once I do this, then I know I don't have a now anymore. <laughs> For those three women, their eternity has changed course forever and for the better. And you'll actually hear more details about some of their stories as a part of this message series as we go on. And just the quick things that you heard them say, maybe you in some way identify with parts of their story. If you are considering putting your faith in Jesus or if you want to get baptized, let me know about that. This is, this is a real thing. Let me know. I'd love to be a help or there may be others at our church that can lend a hand as well. This won't be the last time that we do a baptism service. And if you kind of, if you were to see that video clip from Lord of the Rings where there's this crazy deception happening from this source of evil over the, the king, I think it's in some ways a reflection of the way that we all start out. We're under, we really are under the influence and the deception of Satan before we make a commitment to walk with Jesus Christ and to step into the light. And it's pretty awful to think about the direction our lives could head if we stay under that deceptive influence. Praise God. I'm so grateful that he's using our church to help people find the light. There are others besides these three that have learned how to walk in the light through Valley Lights. And many of you that are a part of us, you're, you're a part of the story of redemption for these people and these three women. And if you're new here, we want you to be a part of it. You can actually join us. You can be a part of what God is doing in spreading the light and pushing back the darkness. And we do that through prayer, through friendships, through support, through getting involved in people's lives. As a church, we're really focused on reaching people that have little or even no church background, in addition to helping the Christians that come to learn how to walk with God very carefully in everyday life. So as you think about all of these things, the way that God worked in Cyprus so many years ago and the way that he's pushed back the darkness in big national ways throughout history and the way he works in individual lives, you might think about taking the next step. One thing you might identify as, as something you'd like to do is to pray for those who lead nations. And there's this real encouraging verse that gives us some guidance on this in 1 Timothy says, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. 
This is good and it pleases God and our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. As we think about this kind of prayer that Paul mentions, think about what could God do through capturing the heart of one leader? Pretty amazing impact could happen. Also, maybe the next step is to just daily remind yourself this week to praise God for his sovereign direction to advance the cause of Christ to the ends of the earth. What Jesus said so long ago, it's really coming true. And it's not stopping or slowing, but gaining momentum. And then also you might consider, who might I boldly share the gospel with? In this story, Paul, man, he was so bold, really at probably significant risk to himself to confront that sorcerer, that person spreading deception. It might have gone really badly for him. Maybe, maybe the, the governor would have sided with the sorcerer and then cast Paul out or beat them or killed them. Who knows what could have happened? But Paul took a bold stand, being led by the Holy Spirit to proclaim what was true and what was right. And there may be people in your lives where you can say the thing that is truthful, that helps cut through the darkness and bring the light that's needed. Who knows what kind of influence God may give those people in your life in the future. Well, I hope you come back and listen next week. We're going to look at the topic of medicine and relief and world compassion. And on this topic, we see again and again that we can find Christians who give real help to people that are hurting and are in trouble. And many times even pay a cost to their own health and well-being. Actually, nine out of the 10 best hospitals today were started by compassionate people who had Christian roots. In this series, we're also looking at how Christianity has had uh, an impact by raising the inherent worth of women and children. Um, Christianity has also removed racial barriers, and it's grown, even in regions hostile towards Christianity. So come back next week and keep learning about the difference that the resurrection power makes. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you and we praise you for your sovereignty, for your unbreakable, unshakable power and control over the events of history and the events of our individual lives. Uh, pray that you would bring light to our city and even to our country, um, that you would work the hearts of leaders toward good and toward things that brings, that brings honor to you and brings blessing to people. And would you continue to bring light to just individuals that are in contact with Valley Lights Church and those that you're yet to bring here, that we could share the love of Jesus and the incredible message of hope that you have, that you give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're listening online today and you'd like to support Valley Lights, you can give today. The money that we receive goes towards our mission of helping people to find God and walk with Him. And giving to church is just one of the ways that we give back to God for the many ways that He provides for us. So you can donate now by clicking the giving button on your screen or going to our website. And I'm really glad that you were here today. Um, I hope it was helpful. And I just thank you for taking some time out of your day to join us for church. Thank you.